Welcome to the Thunderstock Show, a collection of valuable brainstorms to enhance your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. Today's guest for episode 50 was present for episode one of my very first podcast show, formerly known as Stocky Talk. Zach Kelly, welcome. How's it going, man? It's going. Living the dream one day at a time. I want to intro Zach. I want to let, get him a chance to intro, but I will tell a funny story before we get in about the very first podcast. Uh, we're going to, we're going to go back to that time. We decided in 2018, I was winding down my, uh, career of being a, a very average amateur MMA fighter and getting knocked out before my booked fights. People were like, Oh, how many fights did you have? I actually only competed twice, but I signed up for five. So don't get knocked out like three times before your amateur fights, like pro tip. But anyway, um, I would say that my original podcasting career was more lackluster than my amateur fighting career insofar as Zach and I at one time spent 24 labor hours before we could even record our first podcast. We drove all around Lancaster County looking for parts that we ended up not being able to figure out how to use. (laughs) So today we're in a podcast studio that's actually a studio that does work, I've confirmed, um, and about 100... And 50 episodes, maybe 100 episodes later of podcasting, I think we got it down, although still not on YouTube. So stay tuned. That's coming. Zach, do you want to do you want to intro to everyone that may not be familiar with the old days of Stocky Talk, uh, the, the background and, and how, you know, you got into prize fighting and what you're up to? Oh, man. I mean, there's there's so much to talk about uh, as far as the, the podcast goes. Those are just good times man a lot of trial and error kind of like a like an amateur fighting career you just give it the old college try <laughs> without uh any experience but uh it was fun man we had a lot of good times tons of good laughs uh especially the times that it didn't work out so well but uh in hindsight yeah it's much funnier now yeah definitely but yeah man professional fighting is uh seems to be a little bit more solid of a profession for me than uh than podcasting so <laughs> I mean, that's what we're doing right now. I did watch some of your recent media. So we'll talk about present day real quick. Zach, you just had your professional boxing debut. Yes. And then you've done professional kickboxing in the past, but you came back and done professional kickboxing recently as well, right? Yep. Yep. Two wins, two, two fights, two vic- victories, and you you finished your boxing opponent, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I fought for the first time in five years, uh, September 30th for gut check in uh newark delaware regional kickboxing yep yep i fought a five-round championship fight against a guy that's been doing it just literally as long as i have there's a little bit of history between the two of us i Mm. fought uh brandon catino him and i both had our very first amateur fight on the same card back in 2010 um our paths have crossed many times they've just never officially uh we've never officially met up inside the ring um but we've come close a few times I guess just never was meant to be and then um when I got back into this that was the first name that they sent me and I was like man I forgot kind of about that guy forgot he was still doing the damn thing and said all right man let's do it and the fight fell through twice this year and then Mm. uh the first time it was on his end he he was having some issues with the athletic commission and the paperwork I believe then the second time I had a pretty bad injury Uh, I had a chip fracture in my leg uh, it took about two months to heal, but I took it, it, the recovery extremely serious and then got back in and third time's a charm. We fought uh, in September. Like for so, you. Yeah, 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 for me. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, <laughs> it was a good scrap, though. I mean, yeah, the guy. I'll, I'll do respect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I have tons of respect for him and his team. And, uh, you know, as an opponent, he's fought on the big show. He fought for glory kickboxing twice and he won both times. Wow. Trains at a, a really solid camp. So that was a good comeback fight for me. I uh, won a, a five-round unanimous decision, got the gut check championship hanging up in my gym now. And then um, and then I saw a, a post about needing somebody for a professional boxing fight, so I decided to take it on seven days' notice. I mean, why not? Seven days' notice. Yeah. And that was your – was that your first boxing fight? Like that – because you've done kickboxing yeah. dozens and dozens of times. I, I had one amateur boxing fight in 2012. So for those that don't necessarily follow boxing super close – when you watch professional boxers or Olympic boxers, they have what, like a hundred, two hundred amateur fights sometimes. More they sometimes, go. sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The but good ones do. Yeah, but like the people that you see in the lights, like Canelo and Gennady Golovkin and Lomachenko and them, they've probably 
had hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of, of fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I had that was my forty fourth fight overall. So yeah, I yeah, do yeah. have lots of experience. Hundred percent, not knocking the experience. But I'm also no doubt like for I want to give some perspective for those that are listening. Zach's like, yeah, seven days notice, a boxing fight that, you know, I usually use my feet to like hit people with. I'll just use my hands this time. Why not? Seven days. That's fine. Right. Yeah. For sure. Big, as a fan, it's pretty badass. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. So, um, so that fight that happened, what, a couple of weeks ago, the boxing match a week two. seven days ago. It was last weekend. If you were looking at Zach, because it's audio only, you would say, wow. You know, maybe just shaved, like has been getting some sun. Doesn't look like you got punched in the face. Uh, don't, I didn't, you don't you don't look like you got punched in the face. I didn't take uh didn't take too many shots, no. I get down with the slickness, so I as Christian Carr would say, so I uh yeah, I didn't take too much damage in the fight. So how how many rounds was that scheduled for? How many did it actually last? It was a four round fight and then uh he quit on the stool in between rounds three and four. Okay. So yeah, he did so, three so, full rounds. Yeah, it was ruled a third round TKO. I watched whether it was a highlight reel or the actual fight. I, I, I couldn't tell, um, but it looked like he took a lot of body shots. For th- sure. That would have maybe have given me PTSD from times in the gym. <laughs> and uh, the caption was, what's for dinner, uh, ribs and liver? And uh, yeah, so very fun experience to watch uh, from home in my home office. So thank you for performing. Do you have any aspirations um, moving forward of continuing to box? If they call you up on seven days or less notice, are you going to be like, sure, why not? What does that future look like so far as we sit today? Well, I'm a prize fighter, so I'm going to fight. Just tell me the rule set and I'll be there. But as far as what's next, uh, I don't know if the exact date has been announced yet, but it's looking like uh, January I'll get back in the boxing ring and compete in boxing again. Um, For me, I'm at a point in my career where I'm just trying to do things that get me excited. You know, I I feel like I've earned that right. You know, I've had between amateur and pro, I've had 44 fights. I've been doing this a long time. I don't really have anything to prove to anybody. More or less, it's just I'm trying to have fun and also maybe prove something to myself. I'm not doing this for anybody other than me. And um, I also just want to have fun. And that boxing match was something new. Like I said, I've, I had one amateur boxing match um, over 10 years ago. So it, it felt a little bit foreign, but also it got me excited. You know, I kickboxing, I've done so many times. I'm a five-time kickboxing champion. So uh, I kind of know what I'm going to get. But boxing is just something new. It's something exciting. Uh, it kind of makes me feel like a student again. I've been watching so many breakdowns and doing lots of film study and training extremely hard with my guys uh primarily my brother and um he was also a national champion kickboxer soon to be world champion yeah, yeah. you know the future goat but uh yeah man i'm it's just something new it's something exciting and and uh just something that i'm chasing right now so when you say you've had 44 fights that means how many mma versus kickboxing and you've had two boxing a lot of kickboxing and a lot of mma right yeah i as an amateur, I had uh, 15 amateur MMA fights. I had 20 amateur kickboxing fights, one amateur boxing match. And then I've had five pro MMA fights, two pro kickboxing fights, and one pro boxing match. What, in your opinion, is the biggest difference um, when you step on the stage for MMA versus kickboxing versus boxing? Like, how would you differentiate those different combat sports as a competitor? Uh, I mean, just understanding the rule set. The, obviously, there are three different combat sports, so the rule set's very different. Uh, the preparation is extremely different between the three. Um, and, and just knowing what you can and can't do, that's, that's about it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a fight. And then everybody has a different mindset on how they approach these fights. You know, I've talked to some guys who compete in different types of combat sports as well. And they, uh, everybody just, everyone's their own unique individual athlete. I'm a little bit more strategic and try to be calculated with my approach. Whereas some guys look at it, I don't want to say as a street fight, but they look in it, just go in there and slug. Uh, I want to go in as well prepared and 
obviously I'm a professional fighter, but I want to look like a professional fighter when I'm in there. I think that uh, if you watch the entire pro boxing match that I had, I looked like a professional boxer. I didn't look like a, like a street fighter or look like an MMA guy who's never thrown his hands or a kickboxer who only throws kicks. Um, I looked like a boxer, you know, and I got lots of compliments from uh, not just fighters, but boxers and professional boxers and professional trainers uh, after that fight and in this last week since the fight. You know, a lot of people were really impressed with my performance, and that kind of gives me that extra added motivation to maybe see where I can take it. How does the um, – you said you're a strategist, you're a very technical, polished striker. When you started fighting, let's just say 2010, mm-hmm. do you find a remarkable difference in how you approach the game today versus then? Obviously, you've got more wisdom, more experience, more reps. Did you want to just swang and bang back then, and now you're like, mm, may- maybe wiser approach? Or are you always the same kind of calculated, uh, violent chess player? No, most definitely. It's, it's a complete night and day difference. Um, I think at one point in time, my record was like, I was... I want to say maybe three and three as a kickboxer. Um, I had decision wins, decision losses, a couple TKO wins, TKO losses, and it was just go out there. Um, everything was just haymakers and more haymakers okay. and uh, footwork like Frankenstein and just run straight forward. Uh, and then I knew that I was better than that. I just needed better guidance, and uh, there wasn't – that type of training around the local area and uh social media and um even youtube wasn't as big of a platform as what it is now as far as like information you could gather is trying to become a student of the game so um i just decided to get on the uh get on my get in my car and drive to better trainers and um i got in touch with uh, greg pritchett at mvj athletics and he just completely changed my entire mindset with how I approach the fight game and not just preparation but how I approach my fights and it wasn't easy I mean there was a lot of growing pains even with him and myself you know I'm sure I was one of those very difficult students um, early on in my career at MVJ um, but he helped me so much and uh, I would say he was a major part of my success as a fighter um, in regards to uh, like the striking aspect and then uh Later on down the road, I became a coach. So sometimes, you know, um, you could probably attest to this because I know you've coached guys in wrestling. Um, kind of when you're teaching people, you get to relive those basics. And then it kind of, oh, this is what my coach was talking about back in the day. And this is what they meant by that. So it kind of helps me out a little bit and uh, helped make some of those tools sharp. So being a coach has helped me as well. And then, um, also, big shout out to uh, Damian, the owner of Grace 717, very much like Greg Pritchett, uh, just on the grappling aspect, you know, when I was fighting MMA, but the way he uh, just approached the preparation really helped break things down and helped me train smarter, not just uh, like a bull in a china shop. You know, I, if you watch some of my early fights, I mean, I have like real old DVDs that aren't online um, from... 2010 2011 and you watch my last two fights i mean it doesn't even look like the same guy you know so i would say that growth is uh just trial and error and there's no greater teacher than experience and i have tons of it and so I, you went from being the bull to the bullfighter yeah i guess yeah set you could say that yeah yeah set and trap, most definitely like that. um to attest to the the coaching dynamic it's very easy for me to coach now because i made so many mistakes Mm-hmm. That when I, whether I look at uh, my film or I look at my uh, medical records, my injuries that I pretty much <laughs> self-inflicted, I'm like, hey, here's what not to do. And it's a great indicator of what to do when you learn what not to do. Um, shout out to John Brennan, the the hair cat, bear cat. He has a very infamous quote that I cannot forget. He goes, it's really simple to get better. He goes, you just stop doing so many bad things. You try to do more good things. Yeah, that's a, that's a, actually a very John Brennan thing to say. Yeah, uh, and he's right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so right. um that's fun when it comes to coaching you know you've you've mentioned a few coaches that have helped you tremendously and you've also talked about your um coaching uh, how that's helped you as a, as a fighter but what do you when did you start coaching and then at, what did you learn as a, a new coach and then over time um, how have you morphed as a coach as well? Because you're still active in coaching to some degree, mm-hmm. whether that be with your brother or, you know, 
some other like local people I do see on social media, you have a home gym and you do run some like, you know, some classes there. So how does that, how has that journey from coaching, um, sort of been for you? Uh, I mean, I'm just grateful for the opportunities that have been given to me. Um, it kind of started out. I mean, I was coaching guys before I even knew what I was doing. Uh, I mean, back before I ever had my first sanctioned fight before I ever, uh, uh, had my own trainer, like at a gym or anything. I was working out in my parents' basement. I had a heavy bag, and then I I would listen to uh, like instructional DVDs that were just audio, and they would yell combinations out, and I would just hit the heavy bag. And then uh, the days I didn't do that, I would do like uh, I had instructional like fitness DVDs, like like stuff like almost like a soccer mom would watch in the early '90s to work out in in her living, pretty much like that. Yeah. And um, so I was always training at home and then once I got a little more developed and felt like I knew what I was doing even though looking back I kind of didn't um I had I'd have friends at school that would come over after school and work out at my parents house they had a gym in their basement so I've been coaching since I was in high school and then as I got older I just started to feel like I said you just grow a little bit and feel like you know what you're doing so you want to help other people out not everyone is like that but for me uh I struggled so much throughout my my fighting career that uh if i can help other people out so they don't struggle even if i don't get credit for it i just don't want to see people go through some of the hardships that i went through like i said not everybody's like that there's a lot of uh jealousy and spitefulness in in the the fight game but um man i just want to see people do well even if it's someone that trains at another gym if i could give them a little bit of advice i'll never overstep my boundaries but i uh really take pride in uh, just helping people out and giving them some of the experience I have. You know, I, my guys, uh, like my brother and Christian Carr and a lot of the guys, Gracie 717, when I was coaching there, I constantly tell them uh, I made the mistakes so that you don't have to. And uh, I think that's why my brother's an undefeated kickboxing world uh, national champion, soon to be world champion. And, uh, you know, Jake is right now he's six and zero, and he's never lost a single round, you know, and uh, I can't say that, you know, I've, I've lost so many rounds throughout my fighting career, and and I'm not saying he's never going to lose a round in the future. But so you far, know. so good. Yeah, obviously. But uh, yeah. but I contribute a lot of a lot of uh, his not a lot of his success, but some of it to my hardships. You know, like you know, I, I try not to force my advice on him because everyone, like I said, is their own unique individual athlete. But I just try to give him a little bit of guidance. And the same thing with Christian. You know, Christian's a wild man. We have very different styles. But I always try to, hey, man, these are things I did well, things that worked for me. And these are things I wish I would have done or things I wish I didn't do. And I think that's why some of these guys were so much more successful in some of their fights early in their career than what I was early in mine. I try to give these guys the things that I didn't have that I wish I did, if that uh, if that makes sense. No, 100%. One thing that I've had to learn the hard way, most of the lessons I feel like have been the hard way, but one that stands out would be how when I started wrestling at 10 years old, I didn't understand that there were even ligaments in your knees or it was cartilage. <laughs> and like, what's a concussion? Like you could just lead with your head and like your head's invincible. I mean, what yep. helmets are just for show. That's where you put your logo to see who, what team you're on. Mm-hmm. So I understand now after, you know, receiving concussions from maybe not using head movement or footwork or even blocking sometimes <laughs> or like having a, a cogent offense uh, with my hands, like maybe striking isn't my favorite thing. Like mm-hmm. it's okay if I'm against like people that don't know what they're doing. But once you go against people that do know what they're doing, it's a lot less fun for little old me in striking. Uh, so I learned that. Um, but I also learned when it comes to the things I do like and I did fi- find success with wrestling, it's like, oh, if you want to turn your knee to a 90 degree angle to escape a, uh, a takedown or you want to do a throw that's sloppy, but like you think you can just force it. Your tendons will not always be how they were in uh, elementary through high school. So um, my point with with telling the injury stories of myself is like what have what injuries uh, could you say were more formative in polishing your your style of striking in particular, you know, leaving grappling out of it? Because for me, it's like I don't do things that uh, would jeopardize ever tearing my ACL again. Mm-hmm. Very conscious of that. Uh, I also don't headbutt people, so I don't try to like get my noggin clunked. Like, how did what injuries could you share, or you're willing to share, and how has that affected your approach to the game? Uh, I would 
primarily say just the style of training. You know, uh, I think that conditioning is the most important aspect of fighting aside from fight training, but you have to find that balance, you know, and there's so many different schools of thought, you know, and like I said, when I started out uh, fighting, there wasn't as much information out there. So I was one of the guys that maybe would lift really heavy weights and then go straight from the weight room to the kickboxing gym. So then your muscles are pre-exhausted and then you're trying to push yourself, whether it's on pads or in sparring. And that, that resulted in a lot of injuries for me. Mm. So just being smarter with the, uh, the preparation and the lead up to some of these, uh, training sessions, you know, not going into a, uh, fight training pre-exhaust, you know, my muscles just being completely drained and pre-exhausted. Uh, that being one of the major ones, just, but also just listening to my body, knowing when to pull back, knowing when to hit the, the gas pedal a little bit. And, uh, just finding better balance. I like would say. limit testing and then realizing, okay, here yeah. might be a limit, but you wouldn't know a limit for your training regimen unless you pushed it. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and just having smarter people around, you know, like I said, I contribute a lot of my, uh, striking success to my, uh, former coach, uh, Greg Pritchett at MVJ athletics, who had tons of experience and still is killing it today as a coach and trainer. Um, you know, a lot of things that I was doing on top of my training with him and he said hold on what's going on what are you doing outside of here stop doing everything mm. and just do what i'm showing you and then we'll, we'll build off of that and that was when i was like holy crap i actually feel pretty good like i'm not coming in here with my back hurting from deadlifting 400 pounds uh, a couple hours ago you know like oh man i, I don't need to do uh however many pound military press dumbbell military press before i go to the boxing gym oh, okay like just little things that uh maybe to some people would be a lot easier to make sense of than others but I've always been known to be a little bit stubborn and hard-headed and I also always like trying to push the limits a little bit and early on I think I just push them in the wrong way but yeah just just learning through tough times but like I said that's why I feel like some of the guys that I've trained do so well because I say hey man let's not do this let's let's do a little more of a smarter training I think that's a, a really interesting approach to uh, coaching that Greg had for you. It's like sometimes it's not what you're doing. It's what you're not doing. Uh -huh. So like everyone has 24 hours in a day. If you spend six hours training in a day, but you may actually see diminishing returns as opposed to if you do like three hours. Exactly. And it's just like when I talk to some business owners, when it comes to marketing, everyone wants to do everything all the time. They're like, I should be working 80 hours a week and we need to do this, this, and this, and this. And I try to give this framework of like, more better new mm -hmm. it's like if you're not doing enough activity then do more of it right if someone goes for a run and they do like 20 minutes of cardio you might be like mm, that's not your entire workout for the day mm -hmm. but if you do like a solid two three hour workout where you have your stretching your cool down your skills your conditioning whatever okay i don't think you need to do more of that but then it's like how do you do it better now it's like learning fine skills or getting better technique in your in your workout or you know, nutrition or timing, whatever, that's how you would get it better. But until you've done enough, so more, and until you've done that more better, it's like, then you start worrying about new. It's like in Greg's, in Greg's uh, example to you, it's like, Hey, let's just make sure your striking practice is really good before we try to do Olympic lifts or running marathons, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And then if you, yeah. I think also, uh, what your lifestyle is like outside of training. That's mm -hmm. why I, I'll, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but when I say everyone's their own unique individual, you know, like right now I'm working an insane amount of hours doing a very hot and physical job. Whereas maybe another guy that's getting ready for the same fight might only work part-time, you know, mm -hmm. or might work at the gym. You know what I'm saying? Like the uh, guy yeah, I yeah. fought um, in September, like his full-time job is a martial arts instructor. So he's training multiple times a day, getting ready for a fight. Whereas I'm working, you know, 60 hours a week, sweating my nuts off doing manual labor and then going to go train. So for some people that might mess with them mentally, like, Oh, he gets to train more. So now I need to push harder. But for me, it's about finding the balance. Well, he's also getting a lot more rest time mm. between his, uh, between his training sessions where I'm not. So I, I'm going to make the time that I train. Uh, I just have to schedule it a very bit. intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how I translate that to the, the business world, that same uh, mentality is like I have. So basically what I do is I have 
at any time five clients that I help grow their business through marketing primarily. So I can't give one client 40 hours a week of my attention mm-hmm. and then ignore the other ones. So I'm very intentional with scheduling and like, hey, on this day, this is what's on the calendar. This is what we're going to be doing. Here's what we need to do to prepare for it. Whereas before, I was always like, no, I'll just work more hours. Just load it on me. Yeah, I'll say yes to every task. Say yes to every opportunity. And then it's just like you end up working 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some clients are happy, but, you know, it's just it's more is never enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you draw the boundary of, okay, this is what we're going to do intentionally and we're going to make it the best we can, you can end up beating the person that does this, you know, 90 hours a week, full time or whatever. Yep. Maybe not 90 hours, but like full time all the time. Um, which leads me to another question. It's like w- with what you have going on with work and you know, you describe yourself as a prize fighter. What do you see as being like the goal, the prize Obviously, you know, you have that fight coming up in January and you want to get to a, I'm assuming maybe a bigger promotion. Do you, do you find it, it like, as far as compensation structures go for kickboxing versus boxing? Like, is there more money in boxing? Does that help the excitement? Is there more money in kickboxing? How does the financials of prize fighting really work for those that may not know? Um, I would, I would say at the level that I'm competing at, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that there are more opportunities in boxing than there are in kickboxing. So my goal with fighting isn't necessarily to be a millionaire and be rich and famous. I, I have a good career. I have a good job. I have a very comfortable life outside of it. What I'm uh, chasing is just having fun. You know, I'm, I'm having a blast uh, when I compete. I'm having a blast when I train. Um, and I always have fun when I'm coaching. So right now I'm just doing this because it it just is uh, something I just really enjoy, and I'm having a good time. But as far as what's uh, the end goal, I don't I don't see an end goal. I'm just going to keep chasing this feeling until it's not fun anymore. But boxing, there is uh, a good amount of opportunities that I see on the horizon, and uh, some of them I can't spill just yet. But there's already been some big ones. Blink twice if you'd fight a YouTube sensation. Well, would I? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Of course I would. Okay. But, <laughs> but um, that, that, that's not like that's, <laughs> Dylan Danis. Watch out. Uh, the Paul brothers inferior to the Kelly bros. I'm, I want to call the shot for you. Maybe it's out of line. I don't care if they ever listen to this. Put it on the record. 11, yeah. 11. I wish Zach would knock one of you blonde haired Paul brothers out. No. Nah. For sure. If, if that was on the table, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say no. That's a lot of cheddar. Seven days or less. But uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm really just uh, just chasing things that are fun. You know, I've, I've had so many fights, and uh, now I'm just looking for opportunities that maybe I didn't take advantage of in the past that I could have tried to pursue a little bit harder. And um, also just looking at right now in 2023, there are more uh, opportunities out there than what there were a few years ago. So now – there's option, more options on the table. Yeah, one thing that I look back on, I mean, I'm not trying to make this about me, but when we were doing podcasting in 2018, and I look back on like, man, if I knew then what I know now about podcasting, like, I would have done things a lot differently. So do you like doing the media part? Do you want to do podcasting? I know I asked you to be on the show and you graciously you know, said yes, but like, is that fun anymore? Or are you more of like, um, like I'm going to do competing and then when competing's done coaching and training, like I personally love the whole, the whole show. Mm-hmm. Like I, when it comes to, when it comes to being a fan, it's like, all right, let's look at the UFC embedded. It's like, let's look at like the, the podcast. I love how, again, I'm not trying to give too much credit to everybody else, but the Nelk boys had on Canelo before his fight and he went and won. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, would you go on Nelk Boys? Like, how's that looking uh, like? I I gotta be uh, complete. So I don't even know what that is. So love uh, to hear it. I'm I, and I'm not. the The years that I've been out of the game from uh, what was it? I walked away at 2019, and I came back the end of 2022. Like, I mean, I lived completely out of the loop. You know, I wasn't on social media. I I don't have cable. You know, I actually found out about. Uh, uh, COVID and the cron- coronavirus when I went to work one day and nobody was shaking my hand. Like I was saying good morning to somebody went to shake their hand and they're like, dude, get out of here. And I was like, what, what the hell's going on? Like, you know, I, I, I live under a rock uh, until I kind of came back and people saw I was still alive. So yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but if, uh, 
if, if, uh, if I, I don't know, man, I feel like you're setting me up. <laughs> no, right I'm now. not. I'm not. That's I think cool. it's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, man, uh, I love all this shit too. You know, the, the podcast, the media, the, I, I'm telling you if it's not something that I want to do and, and listen, then you my, will not do it. I won't do it. Yeah. And, and that, that is the Zach Kelly from probably third grade and forward. You know, if I, I math would, homework, kick rocks. Yeah. Phys ed, <laughs> hey, it's, it's on. I, I wouldn't have done sixth grade twice if I wanted to, if I real if I really wanted to do my homework, you know? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I think all my school teachers and my parents will test if, if, Zach doesn't want to do it. He's not going to do it. So yeah, this is fun, you know, getting in here and talking about anything to do with, uh, you know, my brand and fighting. I'm all about it. And obviously training and, and coaching and fighting is fun or I wouldn't be doing that. You know, I will say something about COVID that was like what you just said, su super perfect because did you know that the number one sports commissioner during the COVID, like COVID years, because apparently when Ukraine goes to war with, COVID's cured all of a sudden. Thanks. Thanks Vladimir Putin for curing COVID in the United States. I don't know how you did that. Um, but like to your point, like Dana White also kind of looked at COVID as being like, all right, well, if you're a professional fighter, you're probably not like a high risk individual. You don't have COPD or whatever the uh, heck, um, you know, lung disease. You're probably not, you know, one of the frail that is going to be succumbed to this spicy cough. So Dana was like, Hey, show goes on, made it work became the number one sports commissioner. And also I think he got the new, the most net fan new fans. And with that, and again, I didn't mean to set you up because it was like along with COVID there was these uh, YouTube prankers that kind of grew up and decided they want to do more like uh, conversational style podcasts that became almost uh, synonymous with the UFC's brand because they did a lot of sports betting and, you know, sports fans that, that whole kind of popular crowd but when sports weren't happening during COVID, UFC was, they could still get interviews with fighters who were like, yeah, COVID's not scary to me. I go into a ring to fight another grown man mm -hmm. who's trying to embarrass me in front of my friends and family. Like, I think I'll be okay from, from COVID. Now, not to, you know, make light of anyone getting sick or ill, you know, that's a different story. I'm just saying some people's perception uh, rendered better in the, the market than others. Nelk Boys being the brand that sort of hitched with uh, the UFC. So anyway, my point wasn't trying to set you up. My point is, is that podcasting blew up during that time. And now you see like the average Joe Rogan episode, uh, getting like what hundred X the viewership of primetime mainstream media news, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So, I, I think it's great. I think that the, uh, the scamdemic probably blew up in uh, a lot of people's faces, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't want to put my conspiracy theory hat on, man. Uh, that's, that's a different podcast, but, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that, uh, that shit's over with and we'll see what happens next, but I'm not, uh, we don't have to talk I'm about a, yeah, the I'm politics. A, I'm, a, I'm, a non, of... I'm a non believer. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's judgment free zone. I'm not judging. Uh, anyone that's listening, this is, we're purely talking about business and our professional careers. Um, so it's all good. We're in the business of being healthy and then, uh, given enough money and incentive, making someone else feel unhealthy or hopefully just a short period of time in the ring. Um, so when it comes to, obviously when it comes to boxing that's exciting, um, do you, do you see yourself wanting to do like Madison square garden? Like, like we've done regional, a lot of regional events. Would you do like the big show? Would you go out to Vegas if they flew you out there? How does that look in terms of what would excite you? Or does it not really matter the venue or the location? It's just like sign the, like what's the contract look like? What's the dollar signs? Just, uh, or the opponent, just tell me the rules and send me the location, send location. That's, that's it, man. I, I'm down for, I'm down for anything. You know, I, like I said, there's a few things that are still on my bucket list that I would like to accomplish before I call it a day. And uh, I would love to fight on a big show, whether it's boxing or kickboxing. Um, I'm, I'm chasing big opportunities, and uh, but I'm going to go a part of, about that, approaching that strategically, because that's that's how I am. I'm a, I, I like to pride myself in being a very tactical with my approach to to my fighting career. And I definitely would love to fight on a big a big show, regardless of the combat sport, whether it's uh, boxing, kickboxing. 
uh, mud wrestling, thumb wrestling. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Have you seen any episodes of Dana White's like slap, slap boxing? Yeah, I'm. I'm that may, I'm not, a, not a big fan. Of not that. a fan no, of that one. No. Okay, I'd be I'd be shoulder rolling those uh those slaps the, as they came. The Philly out. Shell. I'm, I'm not I'm not eating uh no. open hand slaps. No. no, no thanks. Um, now most podcasts I would typically end the conversation talking about someone's business, personal brand. We talked about Zach Noble Kelly's uh, prize fighting career quite a bit, which is which I love to talk about. But I want to uh, you know first I'll I'll plug Zach. You are on social media at Zach Noble Instagram. Yeah, Z A K N O B L E. Yeah, that's where you can find him online. Uh, don't email him. Don't call him. Just go to the gram. Support that way. Um, I, that's my suggestion, at least. Uh, buy merch. Do that. Buy tickets uh, online. Um, you know, maybe just send him money if you're feeling generous. <laughs> I'm sure he probably won't say no to that. But <laughs> that's. That's how you can support Zach's uh, prize fighting career local to Lang- the 717 Lancaster area. Uh, and likely, you know, if you give him seven days notice and a good contract, we'll beat up someone for entertainment. Love to see that. Now, I want to pivot to a old school Stocky Talk style episode. If you do, you, you still follow UFC, still a fan of yeah, watching yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. So what are your thoughts on this weekend's event? UFC, was it 295? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, the last episode... And, uh... Yuri is fighting uh, Alex Pereira, the the main event tonight. Yeah, yeah. Good old Jerry and Alex. I'm I'm uh, stoked for it, man. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm a big fan of Alex Pereira. He, uh, I mean, he has a kickboxing background, so I'll always have a soft spot for the the kickboxers and that. Uh, however you say his name, Yuri or Jerry or whatever the hell. They, I mean, he's got that weird hairstyle. I uh, think he's Czech or Polish. Something, man. He. Um, He's out there. He's exciting. He brings it, and he's just super unique. So I think this is a real exciting matchup. I think it has the potential to be just like a big knockdown, drag-out war. Um, I'm rooting for Pereira, just like I said, because of the kickboxing background. Um, but I think that uh, Yuri's unpredictable. And uh, as long what I think the X factor for this fight is he had a really bad shoulder injury and had to relinqu- relinquish the title uh, a year or two ago, and uh, I'm just interested to see on how he comes back from that. I don't know the severity what of it. What was his shoulder injury? Do you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I don't know the severity of it, but I know that Dana White said it was the worst one that he's ever seen in the UFC. But to see him come back and challenge his fight, you know, he accepted a five-round championship fight against a deadly first one back. strikers in his first one back. So it, it couldn't have been terrible, or he's just the right amount of crazy. And he won the title against Glover, this, yeah, against this fighter's coach, yep. coach and friend. Mm-hmm. which so, i find it to add to the storyline most you know, definitely great um i know when i looked at social media the other day i had to send you a, a clip five years ago today was our we had a podcast about israel adesanya mm-hmm. and this was before he was super well known you mm-hmm. knew because of glory and your kickboxing fan followership you're like watch out for israel you know he's on a he's on a um the come up and i think he I don't know, or I'm not 100% sure if he was fighting for the title at that point, or this was his first title, but I saw a stat right after our uh, podcast uh, memory elapsed on my timeline that Israel Adesanya, uh, this is the first, what was it, the first, I'm going to butcher this, shit. It was, I think this is the first time in, I want to say six years. That he wasn't the, the headliner for a middleweight card. Yes, that that he wasn't uh, the headliner for a middleweight championship fight because Sean Strickland's fighting Drikas Duplessis. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that upcoming fight? Oh man, I I like uh, Sean Strickland. He's he's another wild man. He's a he's a freaking character. I'm a I'll always root for him, man. Uh, love it. Same. Yeah, yeah. I like I I love his stand up style. I like his fighting style. Um, he's a wild man. He brings it. I don't know if he's going to win that fight, but I know I'm going to be rooting for him. I feel like he might not win, but he definitely won't lose. Okay. So what I mean by that is he might not actually win the fight, but it's going to be a great fight. And I think he'll still obtain more fans. Yeah. He won't lose any stock. He won't lose any stock. Like, I mean, the guy, (laughs) I, one of my favorite son Strickland and Alex Pereira and Israel Adesanya moments was when, Sean had to fight 
Alex Pereira and Israel was going to fight. Who was it? I don't know. That just shows my memory is terrible now. Don't get hit in the head. Uh, Israel was to fight someone. And the whole time, Sean was like, I'm going to have my opponent go and bully you. And Israel's like, what are you talking about? And you're nuts. And then Sean set himself up so perfectly with mental warfare where he just made fun of Israel for any character defects he could possibly have. <laughs> and I think, like, if you look back on it, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever let somebody talk to me that way. But then they got paid lots of money to fight each other. And, like, Sean really backed it up. And oh, I like sure. I like that part of it, right? Because yeah. if you would have said all those things to Israel and not done that, it would be like, okay, like there's an element of showmanship, but like he really, really put a stamp on. I'm not going to let someone that watches anime and paints their nails beat me up, and he didn't. Yeah. So to that degree, the only thing that I'm rooting for Drikus Duplessis, not that I don't like the guy, I don't really know much about the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a very awkward post fight interview when Israel Adesanya started saying the the hard N word yeah, to yeah. him. I was like, I don't know <laughs> that's if that's a hard. So that's a yeah, hard one. I don't like, think they're gonna put that in a promo video. I, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, how do you come? Like, what do you say back to that? It's like I can't say that word. You can. Like, yeah. we look different. Um, but Drikus had a a septoplasty, mm-hmm. which uh, for those of you that don't, you know, go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor is when you get your uh, deviated septum fixed and and or there's also some uh, elements of getting your sinuses, I think, robotically sucked out. Um, so I recovered from that surgery. Brand new man. You I, did that? Surgery. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, huge fan. How was the recovery? Uh, first of all, what I would say is, if you can't see Zach right now, keep your mustache no longer than that because if you have a long one... <laughs> And I'll tell you why. First of all, there will be blood. There will be lots of blood, which is fine. You know, you got nose surgery. But what happens is it gets caked in your facial hair and you have to put bandages. Uh, so you just get like some weird amalgam underneath your nose. And like, I just made it worse. I should have just done the Dagestani beard. Yeah. Just kept the beard and had a stupid no mustache um, for me. Anyway, no, no offense, Daggies. Don't beat me up. Uh, I'm not sending you my location. But the septoplasty, I thought one of the stitches was a like a mustache hair. And I went to pull it out, and I yanked a stitch way too soon. Uh, one of the worst pains of all time. However, I also had a toddler at the time who was about one years old, who anytime something's unusual wants to test it out with her hands. Mm-hmm. So may have caught a left hook from like a one-year-old. Also, terrible feeling. But if you don't have a mustache and you don't have a toddler, it is a great <laughs> surgery to get. Because okay. now I can breathe. And I also realized, man, this could have been a su- supremely limiting thing. I always thought that I was just, you know, mildly uh, overweight. And that was why my cardio was bad. You know, needless to say, I did a lot of training for cardio. I just couldn't breathe. I breathed okay. like a pug. Now, so it was just part of the reason it wasn't the entire reason your cardio was yeah, bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was not all of it. Okay, just... <laughs> Just, just some of it. It was a big, it was a big deal. Also, if you can't sleep and then you can breathe all of a sudden, you can sleep better. Okay. That's sports performance related, unrelated. So what I'm saying is as much as I still want Sean Strickland to win, I don't know if he got a septoplasty, but I do know that Drikus did and Drikus might win just based on that surgery. Well, that's why they fight, man. So we'll see who wins. <laughs> I'm rooting for Strickland. Um, there's another interesting fight on the card. Well, there's plenty of interesting fights. But um, Tom Aspinall is a heavyweight prospect out of, I believe, UK. Uh-huh. And he's fighting, I don't know how to say his name, but he's a big Russian guy. Mm-hmm. Sergei Pavlovich. Yeah. Uh, Pavlovich. Yeah. Okay. Well, I nailed it. What are your thoughts on that? What do you, what do you, like, John Jones and Sipe have been the, the talk of the heavyweight division. Cyril Gaon was the talk of the heavyweight division until John Jones kind of just bullied him and took his lunch money. Um, it was, I mean, it was a non-competitive fight wherein most people thought it would be very competitive. So my point is, now that we have Tom and Sergey kind of taking over the Stipe and John Jones role, what in the world's going on for those that don't follow them? Uh, I don't think it's as, it's definitely not as uh, build up or exciting of a fight as Jones and Stipe. That's one I think we're all looking forward to a hell of a lot much more. But uh, Pavlovich just seems like. Uh, He's just that new new breed of heavyweight. I think he's going to be too strong, too powerful, and I think he gets him out of there probably in two rounds. I want to say he has a – I don't remember his record off the top of my head, but he has a lot of uh, first-round knockouts. So. so there is an 86% chance between both of them that it does not go past the first round. 
Yeah, I'd say that's... That's a lot of first-round finishes for both. Yeah. I don't know if they're both undefeated. I know Aspinall is. No, Pavlovich, I know, has lost. He lost his debut against Alistair Overeem, but I think he has not lost since then. Kangaroo meet Overeem or more uh, recent? I think it was non, non-horse non meet. Okay, uh, non-horse meet Overeem. Overeem, but a uh, little more strategic Overeem. Okay. I'm a big Overeem fan as well. So oh, yeah. No, I, was no knocking that. I was a diehard fan back in the day. No knocking uh, Pavlovich for that. So, okay, that's an interesting take. Uh, Michael Bisping, who uh, has one eye, mm-hmm. s- sees uh, Aspinall as the greatest heavyweight of all team time. Now, Michael Bisping also was maybe arguably uh, not allowed to continue fighting because of his vision. But I, I don't know. I like Aspinall. Uh, I guess he he has like a retainer with a fake tooth, so it makes me you know when he takes it out and he, he's missing his front teeth, you're like, this guy doesn't ever lose, but he does get punched in the face or also horse kicked him. So I mean, I am a fan. Um, of good fights. I'm looking forward to that. And then I will say though, and it could, I could be completely wrong, but upcoming, there's a lot of local guys that are in that UFC now. And mm-hmm. I know some, you may or may not train with that are really, really exciting. Like the UFC roster has, you know, Sean Brady and Bill Algio and Dustin Stoltzfus mm-hmm. locally to us who, you know, as much as I like Sean Strickland, I would just wish you would, you know, leave Dustin alone. <laughs> you know, he man, went pretty hard on him. He went really hard on him. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, Dustin's a nice guy, but my point to that being Joe Pfeiffer, another one, mm-hmm. you know, he's getting a lot of, uh, good success in the UFC. So what, what do you think, you know, Andre Petrosky, uh, he did take a short notice fight against uh, very dangerous. Was it M- Michelle Pereira? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Tough Brazilian guy, yeah, tough Brazilian guy. What is your take on the regional scene now in the UFC? I think it's it's really cool seeing these guys make it to the next level, and uh, it's I wouldn't I would say it's a small part, but it's still part of uh, the motivation for myself. You know, seeing these guys, I have trained with a couple of them. You know, uh, I train with Bill Algio probably every other week. I go up and uh, get sparring with him, and he's the real deal. And by no means do I do uh, too well with him. I mean, he's he's in the UFC for a reason. But um, it's just great seeing all these guys that are in the local level that you've seen in the small shows get these big opportunities. And I think part of that is definitely their skill set, but another part of that is the support system. You know, I've seen a lot of guys make it to big shows that aren't really that that great or that polished of fighters, but they have a big fan following. Like, look at uh, oh. Patty Pimlet, you know. I think he kind of sucks, but... At the same time, uh, he has a giant fan following, so he got that push, you know. So I think that when you guys see people like not just myself, but uh, all these local fighters from your hometown posting about ticket sales, you know, we're not just doing that so that we make money. We're doing that so we get opportunities. Because as a professional fighter, you're only you're not going to get uh, booked on these shows unless you put butts in seats. You know, the promoter's not going to pay you unless you're filling up their venue. So, you know, uh, that, that's why we push them. You know, I could care less about the money I get from Ticket Commission. You know, I'm more or less just trying to help get myself uh, those big opportunities. And we wouldn't be able to do that without the fans. You know, if, if that wasn't the case, you could just stay amateur and fight for free and uh, get a bunch of fights throughout the year. But getting those big show opportunities, um, you know, that a lot of that comes with just having a good, strong support system. Man, that's that's a really important point. It's like you could have a diamond in your pocket, but if no one knows that there's so much value in your pocket, is there any any value? And the point with that being, it's like a large part of what you do is marketing. Mm-hmm. It's it's getting eyeballs, butts in the seats, like you said. Um, I don't know. I think Philadelphia always had a lot of success with with boxing. Mm-hmm. Like they have the Philly shell as a style named after them. There's a bunch of Philly boxers that I probably should be able to rattle off the top of my head. I'm going to hope that Bernard Hopkins was from there. <laughs> he was. Oh, nice. One for one. I'm not trying anymore. <laughs> but like we've had a bunch of really good Philly boxers. And now that I think that UFC and the MM, well, not just the UFC, but one championship and mm-hmm. Bellator is starting to, I would say, catch up to boxing's fan base as far as total number of fans, mm-hmm. at least in the United States. I'm assuming it'll start to be that way in Europe. Prayers. Yeah. And then the UAE, you know, Abu Dhabi, that's that's helping out the UFC as well for international fans. But, 
you know, when it, it, it's hard to deny that Pennsylvania, whether that's wrestling, whether that's boxing, produces some of the world's best uh, uh, athletes. So most definitely, yeah, I, I think that Pennsylvania has a lot of those those blue collar hard workers that uh, yeah that aren't aren't afraid to put that extra work in. And uh, yeah, a lot of guys on these these big time shows you see from uh, Philadelphia. I mean, look at uh, in a couple of weeks we got uh, Mike Perry, Philadelphia native. Mike Ta- Perry is. I'm sorry, uh, Eddie Alvarez taking on oh, yeah. taking on Mike Perry. My apologies for uh, bare knuckle uh, for the most violent man championship title in uh, BKFC. I'm so, rooting for Eddie. Yeah, I'll, I'll be tuning in for that. I like Mike Perry. Oh yeah, he's Much a character, respect, but but I'm also from Pennsylvania. Yeah, so. Eddie's a PA guy, so you got to root for him. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's cool seeing those guys uh, get those big opportunities. Yeah, and uh, for public record, if I said anything that may have been offensive to any active fighters, it was 100 percent a joke. I'm actually trying to help you to get more fans to tune in. So if anything, I'm trying to do you a favor. Please don't hunt me down and kill me. Um, you know, no disrespect intended, just for the love of the game. Um. All right, man. Well, hey, I think that that's a good stocky talk. It was maybe fifteen minute chat from the old, you know bringing it back to the old days. Um, I will say that with our as much as the uh, old YouTube equipment uh, may have stunk and our production value was absolutely low, uh, we still hit twenty five hundred downloads on YouTube as a channel. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, better than zero. Um, and uh, for one of your cage fights, probably the fight that you liked the least. I did get to be cage side and pretend to be Joe Rogan for a night. Although the audio on that fight did not work and I was dubbed over and that's okay. So, you know, <laughs> that was a very uh, interesting experience. I would, I would just for the record again, because this is going on the internet. Zach is in my, I was there undefeated uh, MMA and professional boxing and professional kickboxing. So turns out maybe it was a very good experience. I, but what I'm going to say to my old self five years ago, it's like, Hey, just hire, spend more money to stop trying to figure out stuff that you suck at and like get help, like asking for help, getting a coach. Like if Zach Kelly would have never found Greg Pritchett, we'd have a different person here. For so sure. Like, like ha- asking for help is a sign of strength. Uh, if I didn't have Nell Tice down the street, shout out to Nell and Ticing Media to tell me what I should do to make a podcast not suck, it, it wouldn't have gotten better. So thank you to Nell. Uh, with that being said, everyone, I'll wrap up this, this episode of Thunderstock Marketing with saying when you have love for the game and your goal as the prize is to keep playing, you then play infinite games instead of chasing finite rewards. The person who loves walking goes farther than the person who wants to climb a mountain. Zach, as, as always, it's a pleasure podcasting with you, man. Had some good laughs, had some seriously thought-provoking conversation about fighting, the philosophy of fighting, coaching, and going there and back again, sharing that knowledge with others. For anyone that's listening so far, follow Zach, support local MMA, uh, help the sport grow, and take these lessons from fighting and have them apply to your life and to your business. If you like the show, follow me too. And if you want to give me money, I will also not say no. All right. Thanks so much. Thunderstock Show out.